I think I was loitering outside the bookstore as they were opening, you know, uh, <laughs> loitering with all you the other people just milling around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was pushing the old grannies aside or they were pushing me aside as we desperately tried to get to the stack of Mariana Enrique's books. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty rough, all right, but I got myself a copy yeah, and you crawled could, out of the bookstore and, yeah. You called upon your demonic family to make sure you got one of those. <laughs> Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Pleasure of the Text Podcast, a shared imaginative space where readers and writers make meeting together. We are your hosts, Shannon and Gareth. Hello, everyone. Hello, Gareth. How are you? It's after Christmas and we're moving on into the new year. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, end of a year that was all right, heading into a year that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts? It wasn't good. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It was just fine. And I'm really looking forward to more to come. Well, more better things to come in 2023. Yeah, I think a lot of people are. It's um, 2020 through to the end of 2022 just feels like it was all the same year. Yeah. A really long grinding year. Although having said that, that means I'm actually two years younger than I think I am. So that's a win. (laughs) Yes. Well, a lot of my friends have been saying that it was a grind to get through those two years. So let's uh, move on from that grind and think about better things. Um, So Christmas just happened. How was your Christmas and what did you get for Christmas? Oh, gosh. Well, it was lovely, you know, hung out with uh, family and friends and, uh, oh, I got a few things. I got an amazing um, ukulele pendant, which was excellent. I got some upscale sunscreen for my face, which might tell you something about what people are thinking about my face. What's upscale um, sunscreen? Yeah, it's like uh, it's matte and there's something, it's a bit like putting on makeup. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if there's subtext in that. That may have been. Uh, and I also got a trifle, which was, which was very exciting, like a big trifle. Um, which I, you know, allowed Joan, I allowed Joan to have some of the trifle, but. So you're saying that honest, you ate this big thing by yourself? Not, not entirely by myself, although I was always alone because what would happen is, you know, she'd nap off during a movie and I would sneak to the kitchen <laughs> and get a bowl of trifle. Yeah. And just be surreptitiously eating it. Um, what else did I get? No, I think that's, that might be it. I, I didn't get a lot of stuff. But, you know, I haven't caught up with everyone I need to catch up with. So I've got new glasses. So well, that's always a good sign. Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah. But so, yeah, you're getting upper-class sunscreen and you've got upper-class um, glasses now. We're moving on, up and up. Right? Yeah. No, it's pretty fancy, all right. I, I think now that, you know, we're celebrities, got to try and put some effort in. <laughs> so now – People would notice if they're watching on YouTube that you're not in your usual location. Where are you right now? I am in Calvary. So Luke and I caught a flight out Christmas morning uh, to visit my family in Perth. 
And um, yeah, we're living the holiday lifestyle. I'm even sitting in a camping chair written with, I don't know if you can see that label. It's Bundaberg. Um, Not that I drink the stuff. But yeah, Christmas was okay. I um, This is going to make me sound really awful, but I only ever really want one thing for Christmas and it didn't happen again. Surprise, surprise. So what did I get? I got <laughs> um, a bottle of wine, which is nice. I suppose I can mm-hmm. drink that mm-hmm. during our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got $30 in cash. So I suppose I can take that with myself down to the bookstore and there is a bookstore around in Calvary called the book nook. So I'm going to be nooking myself in there. So yeah. That sounds good. Okay. So we've got the Christmas talk out of the way Um, Mm. and the new year. What, well, actually no, we're still talking about books, right? What were the books that I wish I got for Christmas and what were the books that you wished you got for Christmas, Gareth? Yeah. So basically I, I've reached an age and, and level of sort of financial stability where there's no dreaming of books. I find out there's a book that I need to read and I go running off to my local bookstore and I pick it up. Um, so I wasn't dreaming of books uh, at all. What about your good self though? Like you've got your $30. Are you planning to place that on a specific title? Yeah, I'm going to put it down the bookie table and I'm going to buy Mariana Enriquez, Our Share of Night. So you first introduced me to Mariana Enriquez. She's an Argentinian writer, um, quite celebrated. So she's a journalist and novelist and a short story writer. And we were lucky enough to get gifted uh, What We Lost in the Fire, and that was translated by Megan McDowell back in 2017. So I read that. I fell in love with her style. It's really impressive, a little bit horrific. And so she's now – we now have the, the the novel that she wrote in translation. So I'm going to go out and get about our – well, our share of night. And I've got a little synopsis here. A woman's mysterious death puts her husband and son on a collision course with her demonic family in the first novel well actually that's it that's the line should i read it that's it yeah (laughs) it sounded like you broke off mid mid sentence (laughs) i'm just gonna read the first novel (laughs) well it was just saying the first novel novel to be translated into english which we don't need to know but she did win the Mm. international booker prize for the dangers of smoking a bed but the novel is about a woman's mysterious death puts her husband and son on a collision course with her demonic family. I don't know. And it's 800 pages odd, isn't it? It's a huge book. Yeah, so there's a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah, that is true. It should be about $30. I'm very happy to spend that much on that book and I'm very excited for that. Yeah, I went off and bought myself a copy pretty quickly. I think I was loitering outside the bookstore as they were opening you know, uh, loitering with all you the other people just milling around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was pushing the old grannies aside or they were pushing me aside as we desperately tried to get to the stack of Mariana Enrique's books. And, uh, it was pretty rough. All right. But I got myself a copy yeah, and you crawled could. out of the bookstore and yeah. You called upon your demonic family to make sure you got one of those. Kill some old yes. ladies. <laughs> I did. I did. But I have to say, I'm not entirely satisfied with the book situation going into next year. And uh, I do have, I have three books 
that I very much either want to buy, wish existed, or wish had been reprinted. So, um, should we? Should we? And I believe you have three books. So, should we start with book one, and we'll we'll bounce it back and yeah, forth? Yeah, I reckon tick the tack. Let's do that way. All right. So, I've got books by the authors just to have a prop. So, the first book, as you can see here, Solaris by Stanislaw Lem. Obviously, I have Solaris, and I've read Solaris multiple times. So, that's not the book. Uh, the book of his that I am very interested in reading is called Fiasco. Uh, you know, which is a slightly worrying uh, title. It was the last book he wrote, Lem, um, before he, he so basically he published it in 1986 and he lived another 20 years. Uh, he died in 2006, but he only wrote nonfiction from that point onwards. So Fiasco is about uh, a group of explorers who have been tasked with going to a planet and contacting the colony there. And they find that an extremely difficult undertaking, uh, but they're relentless in attempting to do so. And in that, I think it has some echoes of Solaris. The fiasco of the title refers to the many problems they have in their mission um, and uh, not the book itself. It's not a fiasco. Apparently, it's quite a difficult read by Lem, this one. Um, but I don't know. I just... It's pretty much the only one I don't have, and I'm quite desperate to get it. And yeah, interested to see what all the fuss is about because some people say it's his greatest book, others say it's potentially his worst. So obviously, you know, got to find out which the, which is which. That is really interesting because my second pick, I think, follows a similar uh, thread. It is the two books that have come out by Cormac McCarthy. And those that is called um, the Passenger, and it's out now with with his companion novella Stella Maris. So mm. it's been sixteen years since Cormac published his uh, masterpiece, The Road, which won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, and he hasn't written a book in that time. And now at eighty nine, he's released these two books. And this is what someone has said about it. These two books together, they form less a capstone to McCarthy's storied career than they do a compelling, if uneven, coda. So, have you read... What does that mean? I know either. What does that mean? So, I've so, never read any of McCarthy. So, I was planning on reading these two and then going back to the masterpiece. Yeah. Um, there's his uh, Border Trilogy is... Uh, is possibly considered his masterpiece i think oh. um now i'm not sure what books make up the border trilogy i think blood meridians one of them uh but you know i came to this podcast unprepared and i can't recall uh well, you didn't know what the titles, my list was yeah you know i mean i'm just i'm just swinging in the dark here <laughs> i don't get this coda capstone thing though i mean okay so it sounds like they're saying that it's not a great entry into his oeuvre potentially Do you get sense i know the art actually i'll just open up the article they mentioned that it was um incredibly frustrating Cormac McCarthy's two new novels are deliberately frustrating. That is actually the title. <laughs> um, mm. 
Some of McCarthy's most celebrated novels are page turners, but that's not on the agenda here. These books are built to stand apart from the reader, to withhold, to refuse, to satisfy. You can almost feel McCarthy swaggering a bit as, with great skill and elegance, he chooses time and time again to frustrate any desire the reader might have for either narrative or story. Hmm. So he's he's sort of swaggering around not telling a story. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Fiasco, apparently the first third of Fiasco has a lot of uh, geological detail. I don't know if he's swaggering. He's more just kind of picking up dirt and going, okay, so there's some mica in this. And and it's a whole thing, apparently. Um, and that's the criticism of uh, Fiasco, that it's it's there's too much detail. Not enough narrative and or story, which is another interesting distinction. So we've got narrative stories, capstones and coders. I feel like hairs are being split all over the place with this review. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not impressed by the review already. I think there's some, uh, some odd swaggering going on in it. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll give everyone an honest opinion when I've read it. That sounds like a winner. Yeah, I'll wait till you read it, and then if you say it's good, <laughs> I'll give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone really produced a great work around the age of 90, I wonder? Now, there's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, it's really impressive. He's 89, so it's been released. So I'm assuming he would have written it a year or two earlier to go through all the editing process. Margaret Atwood, how old is she? She's reaching 80. Hmm. We should do a late bloomers podcast. Ah, uh, Late bloomers and people who continue to write into their um, coda years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That could be very interesting. Should we move on to book two? It's going to get more. Well, I've done book two. So you're moving on to book two now. I see. I see. I thought our share of night was just like your Christmas pick, but you've. You've got a pick for yeah. 2023 and you're getting it like tomorrow. Well, I hope it's in bookstore. I doubt it's in Calvary, wow. but maybe I'm pleasantly surprised. That's maybe impressive, folks. So that's readers. what you know. This is not a hypothetical for you. You're going straight in and grabbing it. Yeah, right. I'm not one of these people that make wishy-washy um, life decisions and goals. <laughs> Well, thank you for that introduction. Here we go with my second pick, <laughs> which is a wishy-washy bit of uh, hypothetical nonsense. Kablam. Okay, so this book, Taiko Kono's Toddler, Toddler Hunting, Hunting and Other Stories. I love this book. Uh, perhaps one day we'll review it. I think it's amazing. I just stumbled across it in a secondhand bookstore, and I thought the title was tremendously provocative. So I, I scooped it up and was not disappointed at all. It's a very dark and subtle bit of writing. And it's the only work of, of Kono's that is uh, in English translation. So my second wish, and I have Googled this and there is no sign that it's going to be granted, but my the second book on my wish list is anything else from Taiko Kono in English next year. I don't care what it is. Talking, I just want to read more for work. Yeah. Talking about wishy-washy dreams and desires, maybe your news <laughs> resolution should be just to learn Japanese. Oh, 
Whoa. Um, yeah. I mean, that actually makes a certain amount of sense. I wonder if I'm too old. I wonder if my brain would cope. Well, we're talking about late bloomers podcast, so maybe we should make a case study out of you. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. That's a really interesting idea because I do faff around wishing that lots of Japanese books would appear in English. So maybe I should just get on and maybe I could translate some. Yeah. I think translators, um, do they get paid a lot of money? I'm sure they get paid a fair bit. I mean, it's a big undertaking. It's a, yeah. it's a significant investment of time. I have that no idea true. what translators make. Maybe we get one on the podcast and mm, that's a I can good idea. Like, do almost like a job interview. Like we'll pretend it's a podcast interview, but actually I'll be sort of checking out whether I want to go in that direction. But, yeah, basically, uh, so, so Taka Kono – writes very sort of dark and subversive stories, but like I say, they're, they're quite subtle. Yeah. Uh, I suppose you'd say they're character studies. You, you read her recently, didn't you? Yeah, so I'm 80% through the book that you just held up. Um, I'm, I love the stories. They're very different to what I'm used to because uh, I think we mentioned short stories. There's slight differences when we talked about uh, Curse Bunny by Bora Chung. Hers just end in a snap. But you, I think you said it better than I'll say it. They, It feels like it's trying to tell you something, but it's so subtle and you think you've got the thread, but then you pull it and it kind of disperses and you've got to keep thinking about it. And that's what makes a good short story, in my opinion. So I think she's done an excellent job. That's a lot of um crazy kind of sex descriptions in it that you don't think would be typical of Japan in 1960s and for women. Um, that's all no, I'm going to say. No, you, you wouldn't, that. would you? I think yeah. she's quite an important figure, quite an important feminist figure in Japan. Um, but, yeah, no, somebody's just got to get on there. Maybe it's me. I don't know. But somebody – and if there are any translators uh, sitting listening to this podcast, stop listening to this podcast. Go and find out you know, what, where the right situation is for Madame Kono and get us another book because uh, I'm gagging for one. Yeah. Um, all right. So that leaves us with our third title. Is this one that you're about to buy or is this so more this of a is wish not list item? A, this is a wish list one. Um, so one of my favorite authors of 2021 and probably the start of 2022 is Lee Bardigo and she um, is an American fantasy author and she wrote Shadow and Bone and the Six of Crows duology. So imagine young adult fiction but very fun, well-rounded characters. All of them have a great what I love about her is her characters and their incentives for doing stuff is really believable. It's not I'm just throwing in a character because I need a character. Um, so another book by her to be released in 2023 would be A Dream Come True. So I just fly through her books. So the duology isn't going to be a trilogy? No, and that's also an impressive thing about her. She she needed two books to do what she needed to do and that was it, whereas a lot of um, writers, they insist on making a trilogy. For I don't know whatever reason, but this was no. Nah, I need only two to do what I need to do, and it's done. Mm, that is impressive. I was actually I was in a bookstore today. Sh- shock horror! Uh, I was just hanging around looking at things, and I I found um, 
I found a Mary Shelley that isn't Frankenstein. That was quite exciting. Oh. Called Matilda. But Did it's not your Matilda? Roald Dahl's Matilda. This oh. is uh this is a story of of um death and incest. And apparently it was held back from the public for a hundred years. Oh wow. Uh, Did you buy yeah, it? Yeah, I know. We, well, of course I bought it. I saw I saw those things and went, hmm. That's mine then. And I also got a fantastic guide on, uh, so I'm obviously on a theme here, on death. I can't remember the name of it, uh, which is not very helpful, but it's essentially um, like a dictionary of death. And so, you know, falling off a mountain and, oh, it's called The Way the ways we go, I think. So, and it talks about people who've fallen off mountains, uh, what the experience is apparently like, gives you some statistics and anecdotes and such. So I thought for a writer, um, having a book on all the many, many ways a character could die seemed like an excellent reference text to have on my shelf. So I picked oh, that yeah. one up as well. Yeah. But I was in a bookstore. <clears throat> I almost forgot why I said all this. I was in a bookstore, second-hand bookstore, uh, excellent book mania uh, in Woiwoi. Uh, if you're in the area, go check it out. Uh, Jeremy and Phil are lovely people and, uh, they sell books and records and other things. And I'm often there. So, you know, you may bump into me. Uh, into a celebrity. A celebrity just piling my arms full of books going, yes, books. Um, I was there and, uh, I saw Lord of the Rings, which typically is not that exciting. It's quite a common thing, but it was a box set. And it was uh, seven volumes. It was oh, the, the six one. books that make up the actual story and then a seventh one, which I think was annotations and notes. I've never seen Lord of the Rings in its proper format. I was quite excited. That is very exciting. I didn't buy it, but then it was $100. So, oh, For seven books, that comes out roughly to less than $16 a book. Hmm. When you put it that way, I feel I can make the case to Joan. No, well, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but yes. Yeah, Joan, so tighten your, the- your purse strings. <laughs> Quick, hide the money. Um, but yeah, that, you know, it's interesting, uh, that whole story about how he wrote the six books. And then I think they immediately thought of a trilogy. Yeah. Um, uh, and then obviously you've got the the one volume edition, but it, it does change the way you read it. It does. And, so and, I don't uh, know if you've mentioned drafts. your third book yet. Well, you see, I'm segueing. I'm segueing very awkwardly. Okay. And lumberingly into my third book, which I own, and it's called. Well, wait, I've done it wrong. There we are. So this is by John Kuehl. And this particular edition is called Creative Writing and Rewriting. It's also known as Write and Rewrite. So that's confusing. I believe it was published in 67. Now, this is a fascinating book. And obviously, I own a copy. And in fact, I just bought a second copy because uh, I'm insane. Uh, But everyone should try and get themselves a copy of this book. I'm just trying to find a nice section to show you oh yeah this is pretty good 
All right. I don't know how well this will appear. It certainly won't do very well on our listening platforms. But I essentially definitely don't what I'm, see anything. You're not, you're not seeing much there? No. I'm just, uh, uh, okay. So essentially what we have here on this page is we have the first, second, and third drafts and the published version of a short story by Kay Boyle. Um, uh, what's it called? I've forgotten. Of course I have. Uh, called The Ballet of Central Park. Um, this book basically takes uh, reasonably well-known stories. Um, so we have Eudora Welty. Uh, we have uh, Philip Roth. F. Scott Fitzgerald, Robert Penn Warren, and so forth. And and so we get the published story, but what we also get are the various drafts leading up to it. And for students of writing, I think this is, I'm going to make the big call because it's the end of the year and who's listening. I think this book is the most important writing book that has ever been published. Ah, so I'm going to catch you out. Mm. So last week you mentioned Alice. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what book she wrote. Oh, she was, um, the Norton. Yes. Critical the Norton Guide. Guide. Yes. Yes, by, um, I've got it right here because I've forgotten her name as you do. Oh, it's Alice something. Alice LaPlante. There we go. Mm, and that is an excellent textbook, probably the best textbook that I'm aware of in any case. However, if you could only ever have one book on writing, I think John Keel's Write and Rewrite slash Creative Writing and Rewriting is the book. It's so interesting to see what choices writers make from draft to draft. And in the, in the case of The Ballet of Central Park, Kay Boyle starts off with, uh, you know, a, a particular image that she's developing and it gets really elaborate in subsequent drafts to the point where it's quite labored. Then she strips it all back till it's virtually missing. And then she thinks, Oh, but I did like it. And she puts a few bits of it back in, in the published version and the published version just nails it. And it's so interesting watching that progression. But the book is out of print. It's been out of print forever. I think it's only ever had one edition, um, or or rather uh, it had the hardback, which is write and rewrite, and then I believe it came out in paperback as creative writing and rewriting. But both editions are decades old. I'll just double-check yeah. this. Given that it's out of print... Um, mm. Do you mind telling the audience how much roughly one book would cost? Because then I'm assuming you can't get it at the book grocer. You can't get it at the book uh, grocer. And um, as it turns out, it was published in two different editions. So this is Appleton Century, and it was also published by Meredith Press. Big names. Um, both published in 1967 and not ever uh, reprinted um you can get copies for you can get reading copies for say 20 30 dollars um i picked up the hardback 
a few weeks ago because I thought this, you know, it's a very important book. So I wanted it in hardback. I think that was a hundred dollars Australian not so postage. So it's not terrible. They go up, you know, I think the most expensive one I saw was $500. Um, you know, basically my wish is that it will be reprinted and readily available uh, to the punters because I think everyone should have a copy of this book. Yeah. That's my and book I'm, number three. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that's your number three book because um, we're, we are avid readers, but we're also avid writers and we um, are working on something big, but we're also working on our own small projects. And um, so looking into the new year, what are some of the things that you want to achieve with your writing, Gareth? Um, I suppose the the first thing I want to do is uh, the last time I had a good writing year, like a really good writing year, was about 15 years ago, um, which is not to say I haven't written since or gone through, you know, phases of stringing weeks together of writing regularly. But the last time I had a whole year where I wrote pretty much every day uh, was about 2008. Yeah. Um, in in the years leading up to 2008, I wrote most days of, of the year from about, yeah, so 2000 to 2008, I had a really hot nine-year period where I wrote almost every day. And I want to get to 10 years, basically. I, I want to string together 10 years of writing almost every day, starting uh, on January the 1st, if not oh, soon. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that would be one thing because, you know, process is super important. Everything else comes out of process. Um, and I guess my second goal for writing is to – I bought myself a moleskin. And now moleskins, just before anyone freaks out, are not made from moleskin. No moles were harmed in the making of these books. And what I want to do in my moleskin is free write every day for a year. So for about 10 minutes. Um, now, I'm the kind of writer that tends to get more out of constraints. And way back in episode two of this podcast – we talked about uh, free writing and quote unquote not so free writing. Ah, yes, I, in our writer's block episode. Writer's block episode. Look at those callbacks, right? Um, and I tend to get more out of constrained, not so free writing. However, I thought it would be a wonderful exercise to pursue free writing for a whole year and see what that does for me in terms of generating ideas and different styles of writing because I have a very formal style of writing. It's very structured by, by nature, and I want to see if I can mess that stuff up. So that's my second goal. Mm -hmm. And then you talked about big projects and stuff, and you know those will get announced at the, at the appropriate time. But my personal writing goal for next year is to craft a collection of short stories. Um, and I've typically uh, worked on novels, and my first novel um, got me an agent, which was exciting. And, 
you know, got thrown around a lot of publishers who, who loved it, but didn't want to publish it. Uh, so that was thrilling. Uh, and I've since worked on other long form projects, but I've decided that I want to go short form this coming year. Um, because when I think about it, a lot of the things that really excite me as a reader of late have been short form. So I want to step into that sphere and produce some short form works that I hope will surprise, will surprise you as my writing buddy. I can't remember what episode I'm calling back to now, but, um, you know, like basically, you know, in the last year we've been working together and I've been reading your writing and you've been producing short form works and there've been some really stunning surprises and developments and evolution in your writing because you've explored all these different avenues, uh, creative textual avenues. So basically I'm inspired by that and I want to give that a go. So that's, that's my goal for next year, collection of short stories or part thereof. Okay, well, I Over can't to wait. You. What are your goals? Um, first of all, I'm really excited for your goals. Uh, I can't wait to see more of your stuff because I know you've got some really cool ideas that you've been sharing with me. Uh, also, a collection of short stories. So, I was just looking at my uh, Gareth and I are pretty different but very similar. So, I write a lot of to do lists and things like that. And I have nine short stories completed out of the 12 that I plan to put together in a collection of short stories. Um, so, yeah, I want to get that done and edited and sent out into the world. Uh, make of it what you will, future publishers. And then also I want to finish my manuscript of the novel that I've been working on for about a year and a half now uh, called Umbrella Revolution and have a completed structural edit on that. So that is my two goals for 2023. And also that big project that we're not allowed to tell anyone about, but I'm really excited and it's coming along so well. Yes, yes, it is. Um, well, that's that's very exciting. So. Um, a structural edit. Now, this is something, uh, again, we should talk about in the new year. Um, how does one do a structural edit? Obviously, if there are any editors listening, they'll know that the editing typically uh, falls into three categories. You begin with the structural edit, which deals with the narrative and story. Now, what distinction is being made there? Um, and uh, the structure of the text, how the chapters fit together, if indeed there are chapters, whether characters' arcs make sense, whether the pace is is fluid, and so forth. Um, and then you have a copy edit, which is when you dolly up all the writing and make sure that all the passages are equally compelling. And then you have the proofread where you notice the bits that were missed in the first two editing runs. And that's typically how an edit is done. However, we're not talking about that, are we? We're we're not exactly. We're talking about a writing group structural edit. Yes. Do you want to, do you want to explain how that, how that works? Um, so my experience of how that work is that we've done it with, uh, two of our colleagues and, um, you come in together as a big group. It takes about two days to go through a whole novel about 
I would say 60,000 words at least, and you're reading quite fast, chapter by chapter. And after each chapter, we give feedback as a group and you write down that feedback and that's kind of when you would figure out, okay, this is working, this isn't. You're talking about the big concept ideas. Um, And it can get pretty hairy. Uh, It's not fun being in that position, being the person that's worked on this piece. You've poured your heart uh, blood, sweat, tears into it. Um, yeah, it's quite te- – can I use the word tedious here? It's harrowing. That's the better word, harrowing experience. It is harrowing. And, um, yeah, no, it's not It's not tedious, although it is um, tiring. It, yeah, tiring. For, for, for everyone. Uh, it's an exhausting process. It's something you do because you're very invested in the writer and their work. Mm. Um, and yeah, you have to, you have to stay focused and really think about it. And, you know, uh, you may end up saying things that are confronting to the writer. Um, you have to be, you know, as honest as you can be, uh, and juggle a lot of balls in your, in your head when yeah. you're, when you're working your way through. And that's also why you have to do it quickly. Because when you get bogged down in the minutia, uh, you can find that you lose a sense of the of the broader piece. So it's a forest and trees situation, and you're scanning the forest for I don't know foxes or something uh, for trees that shouldn't be in the forest or apartment buildings or something, and you know just fixing that stuff up so you don't worry about. The language, particularly, unless there's a uh, some sort of linguistic artifact that is problematic in terms of the story for whatever yeah. reason. Um, so we'll be doing that. That'll be a uh, that'll be fun. You better bring the wine. Um, yeah, I will, because um, I'm <laughs> going to be on the other end for once, the other side yeah. of the table. Yeah, yeah. and then it might be worth following that up with a manuscript assessment. Yeah, that's Um, a good idea. Yeah. Uh, Now, I've done one of those uh, as as an end user. And when you're an emerging writer, uh, an idea you can fall back on is they just don't get me. They don't get me. It's not their cup of tea sort of thing. So what they did... Uh, what my assessor did was they explained what I was doing in quite a lot of detail. And so that particular armor that I may have hidden behind was stripped away and they totally got what I was doing. So when they did have some constructive criticisms, they were uh, very compelling, very persuasive. And, you know, obviously a little heartbreaking because you just want them to go, it's brilliant. Why isn't this published? Oh my God. Um, but so useful and such a great, you know, you know where you're going, you know what you got to do, or worst case scenario, you don't 100% agree, but you know why. And off you go. And so yeah. that's a very useful process too. Um, but I do think uh, it's a second process. If you can, if you can find a cohort of readers with different experiences who you trust, who can kind of work together and do a collective reading. It's absolutely fantastic 
Yeah. Um, I think, whilst also being harrowing. Yeah. I think you want to submit it to a manuscript assessor or even the publisher in the best format it could possibly be. You don't want there to be any loose ends or mistakes because that's it takes the attention away from the manuscript assessor. They don't want to be thinking about these little messes. They want to be thinking about the best stuff. So you're really shooting yourself in the foot if you're not putting the best manuscript forward that you possibly can. And I think you've made a fantastic point that not to fall back on this idea that they just don't get me, they just don't understand what I'm trying to do. It's it's bad thinking and people should not do it. Um, yeah. Where everyone's there to try and help you. They're not trying to put obstacles in your way. Um, yeah. And actually, I'm really happy because from this podcast, we have three goals of podcasts to do for next year. We have Late Bloomers podcast, uh, the translator podcast, so potentially getting a translator onto the podcast, and how does one do a structural edit? And there is an idea that you brought up a few months ago, which I'm really excited and I'm going to let everyone know because on Valentine's Day, we're going to be doing how to write a sex scene. Oh, Very no. Valentine's Day, <laughs> <laughs> which would be so much fun. Um, oh, well, thank you so much for jumping on today, Gareth. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was fun. Um, well, we'd love to hear from the audience in terms of the books that you wish you had been gifted for Christmas, or if you did get the book that you wanted for Christmas, let us know. And also your um, goals for your writing goals for 2023, because um Let's keep each other honest. Let's try to keep on the right path and achieving what we want to get done. Um, Okay, goodbye, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Bye.